countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the lack of content to my extremely short diet episode, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. Diet. Forgot my Same dice. Great, great taste. Only one Get calorie. the fudge out of my head. You, you. You're dude, welcome. Dude, don't. Not with the telepathy. You can't do that. I think we've been doing this long enough that we can read each other's minds now. It's official. You know what? Uh, like... Because the the wife and I were at like home all the time. Like we have gotten oddly synchronized. Like she was making chicken tonight, and she was thinking of a side dish. She was thinking of a side dish, and and we hadn't really talked about it. And then I I was thinking about it. I'm like, hey, why don't we make mashed potatoes? Because we have this awful mashed potato mix, and you know it's better than making rice or something. Because I forgot to get the rice started. And then she comes down, and she automatically starts getting the mashed potato stuff out. And I'm like, wow, there you That's go. That's being married for 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 someone who's hashtag life goals, yeah. squad goals. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right well as always let's get this episode started off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at patreon you guys are helping us keep the lights on and in today's episode keeping us uh with the slimmer amount of content unfortunately it's been i don't know robert you and i talk every day for the most part during every year and yet this last two weeks i feel like i barely had a chance to talk to you uh would you say it's been a little busier than normal uh for the last two weeks for you yeah me not so much yeah, but for me definitely but yeah no i i i think i could literally count the number of texts i've gotten from you in the last two weeks on more than one hand but crazy, i, I wouldn't i wouldn't need much more than one hand <laughs> yeah no it's been nuts it's just a lot going on it all accumulates at the same time it's Post-holiday rush, I was in California for a while, got back, there's dealing with stuff out there, there's dealing with family stuff, there's dealing with children at the end of a grade period, it's just been crazy. And I think think you'll see just how busy it's been when we get to our off-the-shelf segment, which is after you tell me about what today is. Happy National Minnesota Day! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah, yeah, you, 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 you got a good day there, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've you know I've been up to the Minnesota, and I got to tell you that Minnesota nice thing, uh, that that's a thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going I'm going up this summer to visit some family. It'll be fun. But yes, the first day of the calendar of the month, no, the week. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not sure how this actually works. There's 52 weeks in a year. I'm not sure what they're doing. But anyway, I don't know. March 1st is Minnesota Day. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Go appreciate that land of 10,000 lakes. And appreciate all that lovely Minnesota stuff, like uh, Minneapolis was formed from Fort Snelling in 1819, and uh, St. Paul, the capital, was once called Pig Eyes Landing, founded in 1838. That's the name of a city you want, Pig Eyes Landing. That, that, is, a, that is a striking image. And Minneapolis includes the world's most extensive, uninterrupted network of indoor pedestrian pathways. The Skyway system boasts eight miles of connecting restaurants, shopping, businesses, and hotels. It's really impressive. I've I've been to that area. It really is genuinely impressive. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, man. Appreciate that, Minnesota. Head up to Lake Superior and 10,000 lakes and whatnot. Man, let me tell you, like, 
I would love to go out there, rent a kayak, and just like hit as many lakes as possible in a couple days. Like that would be just such a fun trip. You, you want to get jelly? Want to get jelly, me? Yeah, a little bit. I, I found out my uncle owns a hunting cabin up there that's on a lake somewhere, and so we're gonna go spend a couple days up there when I go visit. Just out in the woods by a lake. Oh, you suck. Yeah. But, like, I'm very, very happy for you, but you suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what else sucks about that? The mosquitoes, because there are the mosquitoes in Minnesota, don't you know? Holy God. Holy yeah, God. Yeah, you're not joking there. Yeah, so, yeah, got to get that bug spray. But anyway, happy Minnesota Day, Jonathan. Use the hashtag National Minnesota Day. Well, there you go. All right, Jonathan. So we got some business. We got some business. You have been far too busy to respond to people over on the Discord, so now it's part of the show, mofo. So you've got yes, book... Yes, but I, I did actually stop today uh, and finally read through some of the uh, book recommendations. In fact, you and I were talking about them just a second ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so I guess, I guess it's time to officially transition into the first segment, right? Well, we're kind of between... This is new. This is like a... This is like a special, special thing. The the book recommendation. On our diet episode, we've got a little little pre, a uh, little appy, yeah. little appy segment. Yeah, well, I, here, th- these are the recommendations. Uh, Brendan recommended the Neil Stevenson's Baroque Cycle, which I know nothing about. Uh, he also- Did you say Baroque or Broke? Ba- Baroque, B-A-R-O-Q-U-E, Baroque. Uh, Neil Stevenson is what? That's so familiar. That's uh, he writes a lot of cyberpunk, like Snow Crash. Yeah, was that, I was just gonna say it's kind of like grab uh, Snow something or other. Snowcatcher. Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Yeah. Yes, yes. I've read Stevenson before. I like him a lot. So, but yeah, apparently he has a series, The Baroque Cycle. Uh, he also found a book on his free book thing at the college he works at, which was uh, The Writings of Jonathan Edwards by William J. Schick. Oh, man. Uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yeah, like that. That's some serious stuff, which is funny because I've actually read quite a bit about him being a namesake and all. And as it turns out from a public speaking standpoint, he was actually known to be quite uh, mild, which is funny because his words are all fire and brimstone, but he did not deliver it in that way. Wow, the more I learn about you. So Ray recommended... Brandon Sanderson's Skyward Novels, which are a series of young adult novels, so that should be an easy read. There's four of them, although one is not out yet. And also... Which, which are not fantasy, and I was telling you, I'm glad to hear that because I'm a little <laughs> fantasy doubt because uh, the Wheel of Time, Wheel of Time show you? was so bad. It broke you? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of turned off to, to fantasy right now. That show was just so garbage. Well, and then along those rides, Stephen Fry, comedian Stephen Fry, uh, Ray is reading a book. I don't know if this is a recommendation, but I'm going to say it anyway. He has written a trilogy of novels about a Greek myth called Mythos, Heroes, and Troy. Uh, they, his- they are not comedic. I've actually seen him uh, interviewed about them, and they are very, very serious, apparently. They're just retellings of the of the myths. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So some book recommendations. Which is, is awesome, I think. I, I Actually, I think that's one of those that I would actually look for in some form of audiobook because his whole spin on it when he talks about it is how you know myths are passed on from person to person and hearing that in an audible sense just feels like it would be doing it justice so there you go book recommendations from our listeners to you all right fantastic so is it now time to officially slide into our first segment it is officially time to slip into that first segment like a well cared for glove awesome well it is of course time for our first segment and that is, of course, the off-the-shelf segment where we talk about all the things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, and into our hearts. Robert, where do you want to get started? Uh, 
movies and TV. It's going to be a real short list for me, buddy. You want to go first? Yeah, well, we we're supposed to have a discussion of The Green Knight because we had... Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. What do you want to talk about? I'm excited. <laughs> I don't think you liked it as much as I did. I I don't know. Maybe I was expecting something different. It, it wasn't... It definitely wasn't what I was expecting. It's... Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not what anybody's expecting. But yeah. That's kind of what makes it interesting. Yeah, it's a very stylized, like, you know, A24 movie. Like, <laughs> you know, that studio. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's absolutely striking to look at. Yes. Yes, it is. The casting was all interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was because my wife was sitting there complaining about it as we we're watching it because it's, it's a little it's a little scattered. But then again, it, essentially, it's just a giant fairy tale. Like, it, it's not supposed to make sense is my take on it like the i i think it's it's scattered the same way the myths from that era are so i don't know but i liked it i i was having a good time with it once i figured out it was a fairy tale i i i got much more into it yeah it is absolutely and i don't think you could approach it as anything but but i, I mean i just i found it to be visually striking i found that the story to be told in an interesting manner i thought that they handled the the more surrealistic aspects of the Arthurian legends in a very interesting way. And I, I just enjoy the living daylights out of it. I thought it was epic. Yeah. Yeah. No, the performances were great. It was very interesting to look at. Yeah. It's, it, it is very, I mean, I I guess anybody walking into it, it's very surreal is a good word for it. Yeah. It's not like you're sitting down to watch Excalibur from like the the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got very fairy tale. This ain't no crawl. (laughs) <laughs> well that's a good thing <laughs> no i i yeah it's it's just very there's a lot of whimsy and stuff but it's like like the good old fairy tales too it's pretty dark like there's there's bad stuff that happens in it too so i did like that yeah i i just i thought it was super interesting and i by far it's the most entertaining arthurian legend i've ever seen yeah, yeah, I'm curious about Tolkien's take on it now because it's it's a legend that's been done and redone by a lot of people. So, but I ain't got no time for that. I'm reading all the Dracula right now. So, I also finally saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, I love that movie. Actually, oddly enough, Amelia of all people has completely become enamored with that and she forces us to watch it all the time. It's the Blue Ghost movie. The Blue Ghost movie. <laughs> well, because she, she really likes Chomper. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I don't think I could watch that with my boys. Uh, Miles gets really, really sensitive about stuff like that. I think he'd find so it the, scary. So the first time that we watched it, um, I I was trying to get her out of the room and she refused and she was being very insistent that she was not going to get scared. So I figured, okay, let's give it a whirl, even though I thought it was kind of a bad idea. But I'd already seen it once and I knew it didn't have nearly as scary uh, stuff as the uh, other ones in the series. True. Because like the first one, way scarier yeah 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 this one it there's not a lot of jump scares and and the scares that do happen are kind of they're goofier yeah um so i decided to give it a whirl and she loved it she absolutely adored it and she loves the characters and she talks about it all the time she's like a ghostbusters addict huh that's nice yeah, I've watched it a couple times with her. She really likes it. I I watched the the pitch meeting uh, YouTube show about it afterward, and I kind of agree with it. Like they put Mike from Stranger Things in it because Mike from Stranger Things has to be an all eighties nostalgia, and like his character almost does it on purpose. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, we need that Stranger Kids. It's eighties nostalgia. We can't not have him in it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's kind of weird because uh, yeah, it that's a thing too. <laughs> Um, but the, uh, I forgot her name, the main character, uh, the girl, uh, 
Egon's uh, granddaughter. Yeah, whatever her character name is. Like, she was great. Like, Oh my god, she's amazing. She is just one of the most fun characters I've ever seen. I can remember her name for some reason, McKenna Grace, like her actual name, but I can't remember the character name. But yeah, oh, yeah. No, it, it was a good movie all around. Actually, I didn't like it, but it's like it's it's a final act spoiler, so I don't know if I want to say it out loud because it hasn't been that long. So, it's it's still relatively new. It just hit home video. Let's not do any spoilers today. I I do watch Ghostbusters Afterlife again like nineteen times, uh, and then I watched Guardians of the Galaxy uh, with the uh, with the kids. They really enjoyed that um, for the umpteenth time, but. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's it's always such a pleasure to watch that film. Yeah. First one's really good. Second one's really good, too. No, they're both fantastic. That's kind of like the special magic of them. They 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 ride some very fine lines in a really good way. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. With without ever crossing certain boundaries that would make it, frankly, unwatchable. It's it's a really impressive tight uh, tight tightrope act. Agreed. Uh, and then beyond that, I watched a movie called The Big Short, which is all about the 2009 financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, A, wow, capitalism sucks. <laughs> uh, B, that film's friggin' amazing. And C, uh, it's got to be one of the finest examples of acting I've ever seen. Just all around. There's not a single weak one in the bunch. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I've heard good things. So speaking of things you should watch, have you watched Peacemaker yet? Because it finished. Nope, not yet. I haven't uh, had time. Oh man, I, it's on the list. Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, 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 God, I can't remember anybody's names today. Uh, the guy who directed Guardians of the Galaxy and directed Peacemaker, James Gunn. James Gunn. Thank you. Spe- speaking of the James Gunn uh, and writing very fine lines, that that shows also a very good example of that. You should watch it. You sounded so excited I've when seen, you watched the credits. I've seen enough clips to know it's right up my alley. Yeah, I yeah, you'd like it, dude. Like episode the the episode before the finale, like legit was like I, I was like, holy crap, John Cena is actually a really good actor. Like the range of emotion he had in that in that episode, I was like, holy god, he's he's actually really good. You, you know, you're not wrong. And aside from the, you know, like made for truck stop DVD bins stuff that he's done. Uh, <laughs> everything that he's done in the recent couple of years has actually been very surprisingly textured. And I, I'll also say this comedy's not easy. It's really easy to make bad comedy. He has not made bad comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And that says something because comedic timing is a gift. It's not a, a given. Yeah, we we were talking about it, uh, me and my buddy, about how like the current crop of wrestlers turned actors is far superior to our childhood when you know uh, Hulk Hogan and like uh, tro- it wasn't Tropic Thunder, but he was in some crappy thing with a boat. Uh, <laughs> that was a movie in a TV series or something. It was garbage. And like, I mean, are you thinking of Mr. Nanny? Or was it Suburban Commando? I can't ever keep them apart. Yeah, I know, but head. I mean, but Hulk Hogan was not a good actor. Like, by an, no, never, yeah. ever. I guess the best one of that era was probably Roddy Roddy Piper. But even then, like The Rock and Cena and uh, uh, God, me and names today. The the, the Drax the Destroyer. Oh, Bautista. Bat- Dave yeah, Bautista. Dave, uh, Dave Bautista. Like they're all real good. Like. I think of all of them, Dave Bautista's probably the weakest link, but even then, like, that's not, he, he's also really good at comedy. And See, the, the, the thing about Dave Bautista is, yes, he's excellent at comedy. 
Um, he plays a really good uh, straight foil against a, a wackier character, which is great. And what he does that's so brilliant with Drax is that he's basically leaning hard into the straight foil to the part where he becomes the wacky comedian. That's not an easy thing to do. Like he's doing more with that role than anybody gives him credit. For. And I'm not saying of the triumvirate, he's like ter- he's way better than Hulk Hogan. Like light years. And, and let Hogan. me tell you, like you know what movie he's brilliant in? Hmm. Like drop dead brilliant, Blade Runner. I still haven't seen that. I could only take. Some- We're not doing the rest of the episode. I, I, I there's only no, so much villain view I can take. Stop, and you need to go watch it. Right I now. can't watch it right now. The children are up, and it's rated R. So we'll continue. But how? How? I don't. You want to go? It's just uh, nothing. I can't. I'm not a huge fan of Blade Runner. I mean, it's good, but I don't know. Oh God! 123 episodes, and we're at the end. <laughs> it just it was never my jam. I'm just not that interested. Oh, I'm not saying it's bad. It, I I don't want to go into I don't want to go into why I don't like Blade Runner because it's not important and it's stupid. You're so tainted. <sighs> okay, fine, fine. I I had a friend who was way too into Blade Runner when I was growing up, and it just kind of spoiled it for me. Does that make sense? Blade Runner twenty forty nine is is that's is fine. Brilliant. That's fine. I'm not saying it's, it's not. I I'm this is all this is all my cred. I just growing up there was that guy who just wouldn't shut up about Blade Runner, and it kind of ruined it. It it's 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 nostalgia, but in a bad way because it's tied up in emotions from my youth that aren't positive. Oh God! I just thought of the movie you were thinking of. What? Thunder in Paradise. Thunder in Paradise. Thank you. Isn't it like they were former Navy SEALs or something? Oh, uh, yeah. It was good. And there was a TV show because it was so good. It became a syndicated oh. TV show. God, the, the 80s and 90s were a spectacular time for bad movies. Um, seriously, you need to go watch Blade Runner 2049. Oh. It's jaw-droppingly good. Uh. And Bautista is way more epic in it than in you ever thought okay it was okay possible. okay to, to see if i'm wrong about dave P- batista being the weak link of that that tram for it i will go watch it uh, that that has me intrigued more than anything so i can i can put aside my i'll tell you what you watch that and i will make time this week to watch thunder in paradise i don't want you to watch thunder in paradise that's not important to me that does that that is meaningless you do not have to watch thunder in paradise that, that is fine don't do made, that to yourself. You know, it was made for TV movie, right? Whatever. I thought it was in the. Th- I don't know. I don't care. It, I I don't care, Jonathan. You do not have to watch that movie. Oh Please my god, don't. there was a sequel. I know there was a TV show too. You do not have to watch it. Anyway, watch Peacemaker, <sighs> jerk. Star Trek Discovery fired up again. Still fun. Uh, one of the problems with that show, I'm starting to realize, is it's really. Please tell me you're not going to cry while you tell me this <laughs> or run. No, um, <laughs> no, it's a lot of people have gotten like very pissy about it because like the, uh, the way they fudged up Klingons in the first season and all that. And so like, especially starting in season a little bit in season two, but season three and four, they like way leaned into it harder. Like everything's a callback in that show. Everything like they're, they're trying so hard to say, no, we're not screwing. We really do appreciate the canon. Look, look, look. And they're so like panicked about it constantly. And it's just like, is it like that meme, that kid that's, that's like frantically gesturing at the basic, you know, thing that, that solves the problem presented. I don't know, but man, like, yeah, it, it just, yeah. Everything's a reference in that show. Everything's a reference that it's like, you know, I mean, 
it's okay, guys. You can you can try to tell your own story again. You've been you've been doing good for a while. Just I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. The the big MacGuffin of the season, they're gonna find out who's behind it, and we'll we'll see if it's a callback to something or if they do something new. If they do something new, I will be proud of them. If they don't, I will still be okay because I actually like season four, but I will continue to gripe every time they do a callback to something. I don't know why I wrote down Star Trek Prodigy. Did that end this in the last two weeks? Maybe it did. I have no idea. The finale was good. If I, I, I don't know if I talked about it last episode. I don't remember, but Star Trek Prodigy is still very good. I don't know why I wrote that down here. All right, what do you want to move on to, sir? It's your turn. Um, I mean, we do board games. It's a pretty short list for me. And it, Yeah, it's a nothing list for me, so go. Uh, we started the new game of Seven Wonders online. That is technically we'll see true. how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I picked a card. Um, and I've started to play the uh, new Dune board game, the one that is like the old Dune board game, but the express version, uh, getting it ready for uh, for reviews. So there's that. Uh, and then I have been playing a couple rounds of the Transformers board game, getting that ready, that ready for reviews. Uh, but I still haven't seen enough to be able to to call it reviewable yet. So that kind of plays directly into how busy my last couple of weeks have been and the reason why we will not be having a deep dive this episode. There you go. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. This too shall pass. Uh, Shall we move to books? Sure. What have you been reading? Because it's all Dracula all the time with you. I know, man. That's 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 just where I'm at right now. I I don't do anything in halves, uh, sir. I honey. I was about to call you honey. I'm all messed up today. What the heck is going on with me? I slept in everything. Like I'm just goofy today. All right. So last episode, I talked a little bit about the Dracula archive. Uh, It's. I guess it's technically a prequel because it like the last chapter or two takes place concurrently with Dracula. But other than that, it's a prequel. My theory on the problem with sequels to Dracula is Dracula showing up in them is confirmed in this one because Dracula is in it air quotes, but not really. I don't know how you write a sequel to Dracula and not have Dracula in it, but that appears to be the problem. So in the long convoluted uh, history of foreign translations of uh, Dracula, I read the Icelandic one a long time ago on the podcast. Well, apparently that one was based off of a Swedish version, which they have now managed to dredge up. And there are no less than two different translations of it coming out. One of them is going to be by Centipede Press, and it's going to be super duper expensive. And there's no way in, in, in hell I'm ever going to be able to afford to get this book that they it's going to be at least $70 is my guess, possibly more based off of what stuff Centipede Press does. But uh, if anybody would like to buy it for me as a gift, that seems like the ultimate gift book. Uh, Or if I mention it comes out in PDF, don't buy it for me because I'll just buy the PDF because it'll be fine. But then somebody else released another translation of it, uh, which I bought and started reading. And it's it's, it's bad, Jonathan. It's, It's bad. Like what kind of bad? It's really made me realize why... Dracula itself is a very, very good book and why it works for Knights Black Agents the way it does, which is Dracula is one of those rare books where there's there's like a danger to like reading into books sometimes, you know, and trying to like look between lines and like really pick it apart because sometimes when you start picking an novel apart to find things, you find things that aren't really there that are you're filling it up with your own heads, you know, sometimes and and you know, you start going like, oh, this is a plot hole and this doesn't make any sense when you're, you know, just going too deep. But Dracula as a novel is really good at that because timelines are really important in it and they never spell anything out for you in the entire text. You know, like it's very it's very rare where you get like just somebody saying directly 
this is like, this is Dracula's powers. This is exactly what he's doing right here. A lot of the time you have to like read between the lines of the various diary entries and whatnot. And uh, this version of Dracula, be it a early draft of Dracula that's been translated on accident or somebody, uh, an author embellishing it, uh, a lot of that subtlety is gone. Uh, They explain everything everything like you know anything that was subtextual or whatever in the original novel is said out loud and up front and it uh it's kind of awful for that like it's 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 dull in a weird way and overly talky but there's some weird differences uh if you remember me talking about it the last time where dracula has a has (laughs) does a black satanic mass in the bowels of the castle with his mutant ape men army as one does as one does yeah that totally happens at this one and it's even worse because like i don't know if the swedish version was trying to be a little bit more salacious but there was a lot more sacrificing of naked women during that scene than i remember in the icelandic edition and as one does (laughs) yeah just stuff like that like uh like, for instance, Lucy sleepwalking uh, when Dracula starts getting close to Whitby and all of that. They full on say why that happens. And it's because the gypsy showed up and like opened up her third eye. Like that literally happens in a part. And then after that, she's like tote psychic. Like like she talks about stuff that's going to happen before it happens. Like she she like she tells people she knows she's going to die if you leave. And they're like, well, I got to leave anyway. Sorry. <laughs> and it's like, but she knows. And and yeah, like just stuff like that. Like it's just very upfront. And very, very like seventies Italian nudity filled grindhouse version of it. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's a fun read, but unless you're like real into Dracula and I do mean real into Dracula, I would not recommend it because it's intellectually it's fun, but it's still kind of a bad novel. Just read the original for Christ's sake. It's a classic for a reason. <sighs> just, oh God, the original book's so good, Jonathan. It's so It good. is. I just read it recently. Remember? I know. I know. It's just, it, I, I don't know. Reading people screw it up is making me appreciate how good good it is. And yet you keep going back to the well. You know, I'm I'm looking for ideas for our game, sir. And uh, and fair enough. I've got a passion for it right now. I kind of figured out I tend to read the genre that I'm playing in tabletop RPGs at the moment, which makes sense of why I haven't read a lot of cyberpunk because I've never done a cyberpunk RPG. And I'm like, I have to I think I got to do that next just so I can like finally read Snow Crash because I. Ooh, I want in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that, that's why I. Wait, you've never read Snow Crash? No, no. I, I, I the only cyberpunk I've actually ever read is um, uh, the, the classic one. Uh, I can't even remember. The, 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 the Neuromancer. I've read Neuromancer. And that was because I had to do it for school because I was in a sci-fi literature class. And, and it was something like I knew I should read it, but I just like I, I kind of, yeah, I, I noticed that. Like when I'm I'm playing a lot of D&D, I, I kind of, well, actually, I, I don't read fantasy because I've read way too much fantasy. And it's, it gets kind of samey after a while. I was reading a lot of actually fantasy comic books at that time. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I, uh, when I was running Star, Star Wars, I actually read a little bit of Star Wars again. And then when I'm, I'm running Dracula right now, I'm, I'm all up in Dracula. So I got to I got to play some cyberpunk to get me some cyberpunk because, yeah, I wanted to read Snow Crash forever, forever. I just have it's good. I think you'll really like it. I, I, I know a lot about it just by osmosis. I'll tell you what. It's been a couple of years since I read it. So next time when you're ready to read it, tell me and I will read it, too. You'll know because we'll be playing Trinity Anima. Probably that's probably that's probably going to be what sets me off. I'm down. Anyway, then the last thing I read was uh, I, I got the book from South Carolina. It's called To Love a Vampire, which is the worst title ever. And it's about Van Helsing and his youth and why he knew about the vampires and stuff. And that book is already screwing that up because in the context of Dracula, it's pretty obvious that 
he's kind of aware of vampires in a way, but he's not sure. And so far I'm about, I don't know, about eighth of the way through the novel. And uh, yeah, he's already learned more than he knew in Dracula. So the guy's already screwing it up. But it's another lovely example of A, uh, people love tossing in the Elizabeth Bathroy into the wider Dracula universe. Um, and there's reasons for that. Actually, one of Dracula's descendants, uh, <laughs> his name's John, John Dracula. Like, <laughs> I don't know why that name. It's like, hi, I'm John Dracula. I don't know. Real guy. And he was a Bathroy too. Uh, when he got uh, ennobled again in the uh, 16th century by the Pope, uh, it was the Bathroy crest that him and his brother used. So the, who knows? But yeah, people love putting Elizabeth Bathroy into Dracula stuff. It's come up a lot. And then Carmilla is also a character in this. And that, and that kind of breaks me because I can, I can buy Elizabeth Bathroy. She's a real historical figure. Carmilla is from another vampire story. And if Carmilla is real, that means Carmilla, the book doesn't exist, which maybe makes Dracula, the novel don't exist. And then I'm like, I'm confused. Like, don't put Carmilla in yeah, your Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense at all. No, no, don't put Carmilla in your Dracula fiction. Bathory's a, Bathory might be pushing it, but Bathory's fine because she was a real lady. So, I don't know. What have you been reading, Jonathan? Uh, well, I uh, have basically been continuing to read the Ninth Expanse book, Leviathan Falls, which is ginormous. It's a big book, and I'm about a little over halfway through now. So I'm slowly chipping away at that, and uh, hopefully by next episode I'll be done, and that'll be sad times because that'll be the end of the Expanse. You know, it sounds like you haven't read very much, but you said like the litany of novels or not novels, like work books you've been reading about. T- oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and no, no, do not bore people with the details, but you, you have been reading. You've just been reading for your your own life stuff. Yes. Yes. So if you want to find out about data visualization, business process uh, or learning design theory, please just let me know. I'll, I'll make some recommendations for you. Yeah, I'm sure people are chomping at that bit. Yeah, let us know on that discord. And, and, and I feel like the crickets that we hear right now are going to continue. Oh God, no! Moving no, right no, along. Jonathan, you know our audience. Somebody's going to do it just to just to kind of be a troll. You, <laughs> and that's what I love about them. <laughs> uh, so we played more Knights Black Agents. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give the plot away. But uh, I'm having a great time. Yeah, yeah. We may need to deep dive this whole thing once it's done because it, the the process I'm using to make this stuff is is. I don't know if it's fascinating or not, but it's interesting. It's it's very different from other games. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm liking this system. It's fun. It's interesting. It's uh, it's a little weird rolling D6s. I wish they rolled something. I wish it was a D10 based <laughs> personally, but I don't want to do the math to figure that one out. So I just let it be. But yeah, Robin Laws is very into minimalism right now. So he's like, I'll make a game with dice that you don't have to go buy at a game store. And I'm like, I, I get your idea that you can play it with just Monopoly, but I don't know. Just rolling a D6 is weird still. I don't know if I like I it. I mean, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So are you, are you still having fun? Yes, very much so. I really am enjoying that. I'm enjoying the system. I'm enjoying the, the, the world we're in. It's just fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt particularly good because you laughed real hard last night like i i genuinely got like it's a good joke yeah yeah and i i i don't know i haven't said a zinger like that in a long time it made me feel good <laughs> it was a good joke <laughs> i'm glad you're i'm glad you're having a good time i'm glad ray's having oh, no, a good time absolutely absolutely yeah yeah ray, ray has been very good with the with the thanking me and stuff it makes me feel spiffy i gotta say <laughs> you're earning it bud yeah this has been a super fun game so far yeah yeah so we're about one sixth of the way through because there's like six chapters to the Dracula dossier. And yeah, we just finished chapter one. 
with Oogla, the witch, the the owl witch. Did I make owls scary? <laughs> you made them unsettling and uh, very aggressive. But as it turns out, I had an answer to that. <laughs> oh. I straight up went Pulp Fiction on an owl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking about a lady who who uses owls as part of, like, evil magic. And I'm like, it just kind of dawned on me, if you saw more than one owl staring at you, that would be really off-putting. Because they're predatory birds, so they don't tend to hang out together. So more than one, like, six to seven in very close proximity, it's kind of weird. Like, you're like, that is not supposed to happen. Especially with red eyes. Yes, well, yeah. All right, Jonathan. I think all we got left is video games, yeah? I think so. Um, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay, so last Friday, the New Horizon game uh, was released, and I never got around to finishing up Zero Dawn, so I have been plowing through Zero Dawn because I now have the new one installed on my hard drive ready to go, and I've not had an opportunity to even turn it on yet because I still have about four hours of Zero Dawn left. But that being said, I've gotten to huge, some huge plot points and Man, that game is friggin' brilliant. It's not the best open world game, and it's not without its issues, but the plot and the world and the universe are fascinating and amazing, and I I want to spend more time, and the new game's been getting really, really good reviews, so I'm just gonna back-to-back them. I'm just gonna keep going. My main problem with that game is I kinda... I'm in this weird bind with it because I kind of I I'm in, I am interested in the story and I kind of just want to play it for the story. But then when I put it on like super easy story mode, I, I find it very dull because <laughs> the fights are imagine that, Jothan, they're real, real easy in that. But then um, the normal difficulty is just a little bit above where I want it to be, you know, and uh, and that's frustrating, too, because it's hard, there's hard a to weird jump between those two difficulties. I've tried them both. Yeah. There's a weird jump. It gets way harder. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, the first game's not without its issues, but, I mean, it sets up such an amazing universe, and it seems like, based on the the reviews I've read, that the the second one really addresses a lot of the faults of the first. Oh, that's fine. And and Guerrilla had never made an open-world game before, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, no spoilers. I haven't haven't done it. Here, close yourself out, and then I'll... I'll, Mine's easy. Well, only one other thing. Uh, Lost Ark got released as free-to-play, uh, and I have been playing it. And uh, it's like Diablo without a lot of the um, with a lot, without a lot of the grind, and it's scratching that itch, but with a much more interesting and visually pleasing world. And it's a much much more modern game, and it's been super fun so far. I'm looking forward to, to seeing where else that that world takes us. Hmm. No, it's only on PC. Sad. I am no longer part of the PC gaming. Oh, it looks cool, though. Yeah, it's very Diablo-y, huh? Yeah, very much so. But it fixes a lot of the issues with Diablo, so there's just quite a lot to like. Well, I fell down the uh, Stellaris rabbit hole again. And, uh, yeah, I've been spending way too much time on that. I'm in a weird place with that game, too. Uh, On normal difficulty, uh, it's too easy until I get to the last act and then the last act just beats my face in and I'm trying to kind of like it's it's rough because there's basically like three ish parts of the game there's the first part where your your economy and engine building there's the second part where uh you have the the first crisis and uh just trying to survive it and you know kind of that process and and 
once you've built your engine, like refining it and whatnot. And I, I'm getting, I, I'm good. I'm fine at the first part. I'm getting better at the second part. Um, and then the last part of the game is the final crisis of the game, which uh, is hard, like so hard. And uh, I think part of my problem last time was um, I, I was playing halflings. And for whatever reason, I went with like bionic Borg halflings by the end of it. So the, the halflings downloaded themselves into robot bodies, which is a thing you can do in the, that game. And I did that right before the last crisis of the game was to pop up. And the last crisis of the game is like one of the old, like, yeah, like the shadows and the Vorlons from Babylon five. One of them woke up and decided to like take over the galaxy and the type of, uh, space alien that they were, they really hated robots. And so they're like, you turned yourself into robots. Well, we're going to take you out. And so like the final crisis was just aimed directly at me constantly. And like the other NPC, cause I, I had built kind of a coalition by that point, but they were not really messing with them. And the AI is not really good at like dealing with that because like they would fight them to get to me, but after that, they wouldn't care. And so like, it was just wave after wave after wave of nonsense aimed at me. And I was like, I, uh, I'm just dead. Like this, I, I'm just dead. And yeah, it was frustrating. So we will see how it goes this time around with my humans that I'm playing right now that I loosely based off of mass effect. Cause why not? Cause that's a great universe. You should. Yeah. 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 And they got oddly into biotech through the story of the game. Cause I found a lot of biotech stuff early on. So it's very weird. It's a little weird. And there you have it. That's what I've done. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, which means of course it is normally time for other things, but today it's time for a short break. And when we return, We'll be jumping straight into the wisdom of crowds, so we will see you in just a moment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And, of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And it is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our tabletop news segment where we talk about all the news in the industry. There's been a little bit lately um not as much as maybe always but more than more than a lot of the time recently so let's dive right on in i've got a couple is it, of you is it just me or are are things really light right now like like is it because sh- i mean part of it is chinese new year i'm sure but like it just seems like like this year especially like a lot of things have slowed down because of like the 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 supply chain stuff well i mean i think at this point we're seeing the, the true effects of, of COVID on supply chain stuff, on development stuff, on everything. Like, I mean, I don't have a Kickstarter that I'm waiting for that isn't at this point six to nine months late. And 
a lot of these are from companies that have really delivered on time before. And it's just a function of production is delayed. Shipping is delayed. Everything is delayed. So there, I, yeah, I think we're, we're starting to see the real, the real grungy part of the pandemic. Uh, On top of that, if you're looking to like start a new Kickstarter at this point, I mean, would you like, because if, if your last one's already delayed on several fronts, like you're not going to start a new one now because you're just going to compound your own problems at this point, you know? Yep. Uh, uh, Mike, my call brought it up for uh, for uh, this Defiant Earth, like getting that printed right now, even because he's planning on u- using a U.S. printer, but all the U.S. printers are booked up for months at this point because everybody's trying to print in the U.S. right now so they don't have to ship it overseas. And even then, like because of that, everything's backed up. Yeah, but I mean, like we don't have the printing infrastructure that, that other countries do because – yeah, everybody's been printing outside, so we like that's not a solution that works. Even I, I know several smaller Kickstarters can get away with it, but yeah, not at any yeah. kind of scale. Yeah, yeah, like I said, smaller, like like the, this Defined Earth. It's 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 a it's a lovely game, but it's not like a it's not going to be like D and D books. Like wi- Wizards could definitely not do that. Hell, like White Wolf and some of the bigger companies definitely could not do that. They'd want to print too much, but yeah, little indie games can get away with it. But little indie games are still having problems with it. Because everything's booked up, all of the little indie games and people who are kind of on the verge of probably not being able to print in the U.S. are starting to try to print in the U.S. So it's weird. There are a few U.S. printers. One of them's in Texas, I found out. Any event. Tell me your news, Jonathan. Tell me your news. All right. So let's start out with the big um, the big one. Uh, you remember a couple of, uh, I guess, weeks, maybe months ago when ILO uh, announced that they were terminating their U.S. distribution agreement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, of all companies, ILO US. <laughs> yeah, awkward. Yeah. Well, ILO has a new distribution partner in the United States, uh, the Flat River Group. Oh yeah, yeah. I read about that. So they are now going to be the distributor in the United States and Canada as of January first of this year. Actually, uh, it, it, this rolls back a little bit, even though the announcement was just a few days ago, and they actually have a, a slate of ILO games coming out, including King of Tokyo, uh, the King of Tokyo Monster Box, which is a big uh, collection. They've got uh, Distant Sons, Animals of Baker Street, Get On Board, and most importantly, a new standalone game in the universe that King of Tokyo has given us, the King of Monster Island. Those will all be hitting this year in 2022. In theory. In theory. Yeah. Well, we'll put some air quotes around this year because, man. Also, because I think it's funny, uh, the op is releasing Yahtzee Spam. Nice. And it comes in a little spam tin, and all the uh, dice have different spam dishes on them. I could get behind that. Yeah, I oddly am really kind of behind it and totally want a copy. (laughs) All right, to you, sir. Wizards of the Coast has announced that there is going to be a new Dungeons & Dragons starter set, uh, Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. Coming out soon, TM, with an MSRP of $49.95, which is significantly higher than previous uh, starter sets. They were usually priced around $30. So I'm not sure if that is just a function of uh, the times or if it's a function of this is going to be a nicer starter set. Who knows? But that is a thing that is coming. Gale Force 9 has a new Doctor Who game coming out. It's called Don't Blink. The game is set in the Matt Smith era of uh, Doctor Who. It's a, a shorter 30-minute playtime game for two to five players ages 14 and up, and it is a one-versus-many style game. And in this, the TARDIS has crashed, and you are on a derelict spaceship 
full of the weeping angels. Nice. Oh, oh, it's that episode. Yeah. yeah. So they, these are, of course, uh, the critters that when you look at them, they appear to be a statue. And then the moment you look away or blink, boom, they move. That's a good episode. And then they kind of ran. The, uh, the, yeah. One of the best, actually. Yeah. And then they ran them. So into there the you go. That will be out later in 2022 from Gale Force. Nine. Actually, you know, I didn't bring this up, but there was quite the hullabaloo on Twitter because uh, Cubicle 7 announced uh, a new Doctor Who role playing game called Doctors and Daleks. Daleks, Doctors and Daleks, not Daleks. What am I doing, Robert? Uh, and it's going to be based on 5th edition. And then all of anti-5th edition Twitter got all in an uproar about it. And it was funny. I, that's all I got on that one. Twitter uh, become accessible? No, never. Yeah, yeah. There's a pretty large contingent of people who do not like the 5th edition on Twitter. It's uh, it's impressive. All right, all right. So some like tangible news broke over the past week. And I wanted to chit-chat about it. So I had a lot of people like messages to me and say, we should talk about it. And I'm like, this, this isn't the kind of news that we cover. <laughs> and, and I wanted to, I, I just want to have a quick chit chat of why, just cause I've been seeing it go around. So, uh, wizards of the coast, basically, uh, one of their investors who owns 2.5% of the company has, uh, said out loud that they should split off wizards of the coast from Hasbro because then it would make people more money. And they suggested people on the board, uh, including one guy, uh, his name's Ray, Ray Fink, not Ray Finkel, Finkel, the last name's Finkel, which is funny if you've watched Ace Ventura, but he probably gets that joke a lot, so I'm not going to make it. <laughs> but anyway, so this is why this is not gaming news, okay? Um, there is a difference between, uh, I think people are getting confused with the term activist investor because they're thinking about like Activision Blizzard stuff and the activist investor that was trying to get, you know, Bobby Kotick taken out <laughs> of, of Activision Blizzard and the term activist, as it's been known, like over the past year about people, you know, social change and yada, 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 and all that stuff. Uh, activist investor does not mean that activist investor means an investor who talks a lot and is loud. And uh, that is what activist investor means. So, well, I mean, all they're trying to do is is elicit a change of some sort. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's perfectly. And, it. and it's 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 nothing. It doesn't have to be a a change for anything but better capitalism. So, right. Like it's not like an activist in, in the normal world. Right. Right. But people are kind of conflating the two. Yeah, they're basically using their equity stake to put pressure on on the the rest of the management structure of the company. Right. And what I'm seeing is, and this is happening a lot more in Magic the Gathering, the wider sphere, a lot of people are, are like going like, yeah, they should do this and kind of getting behind it. And I think a lot of it has to do with there's the magic guy who's also kind of a finance guy. His last name's Finkel. I forget his first name. I apologize. They, everybody likes him. Apparently he's a, he's a fine individual. And so they're like, yeah, he should be on Hasbro's board. And it's like, that's fine. But that's not gaming news. This board, this happening, this not happening, this does not affect product this is not affecting what we consume you know it, it I, I i was talking about it with you and with my wife it's like um it, the difference is like uh, kevin feige kevin feige makes marvel movies i like marvel movies i am if kevin feige left marvel i have reason to be worried a creative who creates stuff i like is leaving or if you're a star wars fan he's gonna make star wars films if you are a star wars films and you like the marvel films and you like what he does him doing a star wars film is good because he's a creator doing creative stuff but the board sets the budgets, you know, they don't, they don't do anything creatively. And so all this stuff, if you are arguing about it, you are just trying to, and especially if you do not have stock in Hasbro, uh, you are wasting your time trying to get other people money and it's not affecting anything that you like about wizards of the coast or Hasbro. 
So that is why I wasn't going to cover this, but a lot of uh, a surprising number of people told me I should. So I want to clarify why it's not happening and why you shouldn't care about it either. Care about it so hard that you devote five minutes on a podcast to it or not care about it, not care about it so hard. Anyway, that's all I got. And rant. That was my Ted talk. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that they use the word activist because it really does mean something else in the vast majority of life, but it's, yeah, much like the rest of the English language that has been uh, warped and co-opted by the financial industry, it does not mean the same thing. Well, it, and maybe it does. I mean, language changes over time. We've had discussions about this. Like, it, it's fine that the word means something else, but the thing is they are using it in a more archaic way, which business has done for a far longer time, so. Yeah, that's true. You, you do bring up a really good point. It is a very old way of looking at the word. So activist investors are not your friends. Hell, investment firms are not your friends. Look at the history of Toys R Us and Soil's alternative investment management or the LA Times and Alden Global Capital. Like, yeah, that that is what this is. And if that sounds mind-numbingly boring to you and you're like, why would I go look that up on Google? Uh, exactly. And there you go. Jonathan? <laughs> All right. Well, in a slightly lighter uh, bit of news, my last uh, story is something that's uh, super fun. We've talked about Libertalia on the uh, show before. That is, the, of course, the classic, uh, well-regarded board game pa- by Paolo Mori. Well, it is getting a new edition in 2022, and from nobody other than Stonemeyer Games, which means that it's going to be a pretty edition, and I am stoked. So if you remember, in Libertalia, you take control of a pirate crew. It's t- it's uh, two to six players, if I remember correctly, and you're you're basically, you know trying to pillage and collect doubloons and a bunch of other stuff and, you know, build out your your pirate crew. So this will be a new edition uh, where they are making some tweaks to make things a bit more fantastical. And they've, they've released a couple of images of art and it's really, really pretty. It looks gorgeous. And um, all the art is being done by an artist named uh, Lamaro Smith. And yeah, it looks awesome. I am really, really excited uh, this is on several uh, notable folks, 100 games of all time uh, lists. And I would say it's probably in one of my, I would say it's probably a top 50 game for me. Easy. Like, I really enjoy it. So I am super excited that Stonemeyer is releasing a new version of Libertalia. This will be called Libertalia Winds of Galecrest. Pre-orders are opening on March 2nd. You know, I, I wikipedia that to see if I could find something about the board game. And I found out. I found Libertalia, the pirate uh, utopia. <laughs> that was a thing. It's an interesting read. Highly recommend. 10 of 10 would do again. I'll send it to you. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our tabletop news segment, which means it is time for a king in all things. This is, of course, part 11 of our 39 part series, A King in All Things, where we are watching all of the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release, with the occasional extra, and this takes us to 1989 with Pet Cemetery. Released on April 21st, 19, I have it in 1999, wow, that's a typo, 1989, uh, directed by Mary Lambert for a budget of $11.5 million, it made $89.5 million. 
Dude, this movie was a huge deal when it came out. I remember. I remember. And it has not aged gracefully <laughs> when I was watching it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right. So, like, let, let, let me let me start out by saying this. This suffers from a lot of the, the same issues of, as the last few movies that we've seen, which are these these weird 80s tropes that, that just seem to, to live on in these films. And, like, one of the, the first that pops out to me is that the, the weird, super weird, super uncomfortable score. <laughs> yeah. And the way it's shot. Like, it's so... 80s like I don't know how else to put it like just go watch anything from the 80s in this standpoint and there, there is a lot to like in this movie much more than anything else that we've watched so far yeah I'll, I'll agree uh, it, it was not directed great I don't want to I don't want to harp on uh, on Mary here for one uh, being a director a female director in Hollywood at this time probably wasn't fun and and she's had a she's had an interesting career I would actually recommend reading up on her she's done she got into TV and she's done a lot of good TV work uh, but yeah yeah it, it's still she was directing music videos immediately before this. And I, I, I do well, think and it, it shows because there's a lot of weird jump cuts and stuff like that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I'd agree. Like the, the, there, there's not a, a presence of space. And I think that comes from, um, I think that comes from the, the smaller medium that was music videos at the time. That actually makes sense. Yeah. I'd agree. Like eighties parenting was rampant in this, like so bad. Like those parents were like the worst parents ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, because I was watching this movie. I'm like, you know, this movie could be entirely solved by just them putting a fence up around their house because it takes place over like nine months. At least the book does, you know, so like. Well, and they show time passing in the film. So, yeah, I think it it is supposed to take place over that that large quantity of time, too. Yeah, I remember in the book it takes place over a fairly long period of time because it like jumps to Thanksgiving and then it jumps and you don't see snow or anything of winter because they obviously didn't film it then. So they just kind of had to move on. So this is the thing that I thought was particularly funny about this movie. The acting's not great, even from our, our, our good friend Tasha Yar. The two exceptions to the, the okay acting in this, one... Fred Gwynn? Tell me you're saying Fred Gwynn, because uh, I thought it was will, great. I will get to that. I'll first go with Miko Hughes, who played Gage Creed, the boy. Creepy as all get out. Yeah, yeah. Kid was three years old when he did this movie and not a twin. So they didn't, they weren't able to use him very long. And, and Mary had to fight to get that kid in. And it was one of the battles she won. And it was, it was a good battle that, that is easily still the creepiest and best part of this movie is that kid. Oh yeah. No Cause that doubt. kid is super cute. So cute. Uh, during the movie, you know, and talking and just very, just, just an adorable child. And then when, like they tell the kid to go into evil mode. Holy God, does that kid go into? And it's the kid. The kid's yeah, in it. No, yeah. it's 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 like a, a true talent. Like <laughs> legitimately a true talent. Yeah, yeah. So that is that is one standout point about this film. The other one, yes, is you, you may remember him uh, also, by the way, from uh, Kindergarten Cop, and he had a recurring role on, of all things, um, Full House. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there well, you go. He was a big child actor at the time. Uh, he was probably one of. Uh, one of the, the, the other twins' friends. This was his first film, by the way. Yeah, I, he's three. I don't doubt it. Uh, the other one, of course, is Fred Gwynn. It's funny. I was reading about the making of this film, and that was another one they were really worried about. They were really worried about about hiring him. And he is like the he part of this. It. He nails it. He nails it. He nails the creepy, unsettling, flicking back and forth between I trust you and I'm terrified of you. And he gets the New England accent right, and it's just... Yeah, he's perfection, man. 
He's absolute perfection in this role. Yeah, I, I he, he has aged very well. Like that that performance, because you know, I mean, he talks about being a boy in twenty nine, which you know these days he would be dead because he'd be like over a hundred. But um, no, he wouldn't. He would be ten years older than my dad. He'd be ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. Well, regardless, he'd still be hella old at this point. But other than that, but he gets he, it like he's got that New England drawl, but he uses it to yeah. accent. The, the, the creepy underpinnings of some of the things that he says. Like, it, yeah, it's a, yeah. Well, it's, it's a brilliant performance, far outclassing anything else on display in the movie. Uh, yeah, the part that got me is when he comes over to visit after Gage dies and he's convinced that he got Gage killed because he took the, the father up to the pet cemetery and he breaks down during it. Like, that was, that was so good. And I'm yeah, like, I didn't know Herman amazing. Munster had that in him. I was so proud of him. I was like, damn, that guy's good. And I remember it brought me back. Uh, I was reading about his career and I got reminded of Car 54, Where Are You? And I used to watch that on Nick at Night back when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, sadly, this was one of his final films. He only did two additional films uh, before he passed uh, Shadows and Fog and My Cousin Vinny. Oh, he was so good in My Cousin Vinny. Oh, my God. Brilliant. Brilliant. But, <laughs> like, again, credit to his acting talent, completely on the opposite side of the spectrum from what we see here. Yeah, no, he was a great actor. Like, and again, I, here's another example, you know, call back to the beginning of the episode of uh, a dramatic actor showing comedic chops by nailing the timing. And he was Herman Munster. So, of course, he had good comedic timing. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, the rest of the family was ho-hum. If you don't know the story, we didn't even go over it. Uh, they moved to a new town. Their trucks go by. Uh, the youngest kid dies. There's a pet cemetery that, br- or there's a cemetery that brings people back from the dead, but sometimes dead is better. And the kid comes back from the dead and murders everybody. Kind of the end. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the basic plot. The family is not acted very well. I remember the dad. He's the guy who was in that show that was on with Battle on Five early on, Time Tracks, where he played the guy from the future. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, Let's oh. just say that his uh, his star didn't rise uh, very far <laughs> when he, he chose to do that because that was about on par with what we saw here. Don't forget, Stephen King's in this one. Yeah, yeah, he played the priest. Yeah. Yeah, but he wrote the script, too, and he had a lot more creative control over this movie, and yeah, there were these weird subplots in the movie that I'm like, why is this here? Like, there's this early subplot about, like, they have a a lady that helps him with, like, chores around the house or something, and she has some sort of stomach problem, and she hangs herself about halfway through the movie, and then that's the funeral they're at that Stephen King shows up in, and it's like, why was that plot there? Like, what did that do? You know? Like... They talked about death a little bit, but it's like the church cat was about it, it to die. It feels like a big chunk of, of that subplot is missing. Yeah, yeah. And the, 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 weird, the other weird thing is that the, the film goes straight slasher for a minute, and it doesn't feel like it belongs in the rest of the film. I kind of like that because, like, they had been hinting that there was going to – if a person gets buried up there – it's bad. And they said it was bad. And it, it happens very early on where people start talking about that. And when it happens, like the entire well, show, tone, the whole flashback scene, right, right. Where he was like eating people, but, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but like actually, and maybe they should have cut that out, but actually having that be bad. I, I liked and it, it changing the tone of the movie because I, I thought that actually said something about how bad it is that it's like so bad. It's like, you know, going to actually just bend the movie around it, which I liked. But yeah, I, I, I actually really like the final act of that movie because the kid's so damn creepy. <laughs> the kid is so creepy. So, you know, Guillermo del Toro was was recently talking about Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Did you happen to read that? Yeah, that he wanted to do it. 
Oh, but did you see what he wrote? No. So he was saying, he was talking about like, it, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't read the book. Now in the book, there's a scene where where Lois opens the coffin and like a fungus has grown over Gage's face. And like he he thinks that the, those little details are what makes the book so impactful and they, they, they need to be held into the uh, held into the film. And then my favorite quote from that whole interview is uh, one of the things I thought about Pet Cemetery that we would do in post is when the dead return, when Gage returns, I'd spend an inordinate amount of money taking out the sheen from his eyes so that the eyes are dull. And that's why I love Guillermo del Toro. Like, that's why I love you so much. Because that's the kind of attention to detail that makes a good horror movie. And I, now I really want that. I would I would actually, like if I was ever a rich man, I would give Guillermo del Toro $100 million and just say, go make this. They do take another crack at it in 2019, so we'll be watching that in the future. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there soon. Who plays everybody? Oh. Oh. John Lithgow's Judd. I could see that. He's a pretty good actor. He's surprisingly Ooh, good. Oh, yeah. That, that actually works real well. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I haven't I haven't heard much about it, so I have a feeling it's not that bad, but it's also not that good. I can't say I'm a huge fan of Jason Clark, so we'll see. So we've got ourselves a king in all things list of goodness right now. Well, I'm looking at it. Yeah. And and here's the thing. <laughs> like, because there are so many wacky ass movies on this list, like it's already not at the bottom. Right. I feel I feel Christine like is the better film. I feel like it's between Christine and Running Man. I feel like it's I feel like it's better than The Dead Zone. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to that idea because Silver Bullet is just wacky. Just like you know, much like much like Gary Busey on a cocaine high. It's a good time, but you know that it's not great. Okay. Well, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this. We one of the reasons we like Silver Bullet was Busey. Because Busey was obviously having a really good time and it infected everybody else. And so everybody else was having a good time and it showed and it made the film better. Right. And there were some good yeah, performances. But it's not a great film. No, no. So then we get to the dead zone. The dead zone arguably has a great performance. And that would be Christopher Walken going full Walken, which is fine. I still maintain that that movie is very scattered and it doesn't have a good plot. I it's mean, just, you're not wrong. Yeah, it, it, it's and it's a little slow at times. Right, right. Yeah, it's very slow at times. Pet Cemetery? But it's definitely not up to the brilliance of Salem's Lot. And no. I'll tell you what, you know, honestly, it's it's Gwyn's performance that, that elevates this a lot higher than it deserves. Right. So this is what I'm saying. I think it's better than The Dead Zone because the plot is it clips along at a good pace. The soundtrack isn't entirely on a Casio keyboard, which I was approval of. It's got two... Yeah, but it's not great either. It's got two mind-numbingly good performances in it uh, by Herman Munster and that kid. And it's got some genuinely creepy moments, It too. does. It does, which is like more than I can say about the genuinely unsettling moments that, that, that hold up even, what, uh, almost 35 years later. And and uh, the whole notion of being a father and having your kid die from that, that uh, kicked yeah, me right that, in the junk much more yeah. than I expected. You and I, me both. Right. So the Dead Zone didn't make me feel much. And Pet Cemetery made me feel things, and it had had some good performances. It had good things, and I think it's, it's good outweighs it's bad. I think it pulls it ahead of the Dead Zone. But that's just me. I know you like the Dead Zone more than me because you've got a little bit more rose-colored glasses on it. But I... I I definitely think it's better than Silver Bullet. It's way better than Christine, and I, I think it deserves to go above the dead zone. That's that's my thought. I think I, it's I'm a better film. I'm going to agree film. with you, and here's why. I'm going to agree with you because I think that it doesn't slow down like Dead Zone does. Mm -hmm. It keeps a better pace, and it's got 
a, a couple more things going for it. You know, more better performances, more creepy moments. I agree. I'm it's also got like a, a, a death, a, 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 a Darth Vader style. No, when Gage dies afterwards, and, and Time Tracks guy like collapses in slow motion on the pavement, goes no. Oh, so good, Jonathan. Oh, and when he when he's running and trips. Oh God, like. <laughs> oh, that hurt. That hurt. Yeah, yeah. But the no made me actually laugh out loud. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it's not good. It's not good. All right, there it is. I've, I've updated the list. So, top five as they stand now. The Shining still standing tall at number one. That's going to be tough to unseat, I got to tell you. Stand By Me, standing tall at number two. Salem's Lot, the classic, the, 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 the TV miniseries, which, like, way, it's punching way above its weight class. Yes, and you it know is. what? It's, it's nailing them. It's nailing them. Pet Cemetery and the Dead Zone. There's your top five in a king of all things. Firestarter, Cujo, and Carrie definitely still running strong at the bottom of the list. God, it's going to take a spectacular pile of crap to, to unseat Carrie as the worst movie on this list. But we got the Lawnmower Man coming up pretty soon. So. <laughs> Whoa, man. I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see if the Lawnmower Man can make it to the bottom of the list. <laughs> Or, or if Nibbles can, can push it over Carrie. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, Jonathan, next up, we have the 1990s classic, Kathy Bates in Misery. Oh, man. The, you know what? I I feel like this movie's going to hold up. I've got really high hopes for this. Yeah, you're going to... I might have to defer to you. I, As I explained before, I've got some I've got some nostalgia tied up in this one with my, my dear departed mother, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to judge this one fairly at all. <laughs> so, we will see. We will see. This is, this is the movie that put Kathy Bates on the map. She was... Oh, the, man. Like, she was a nothing before this. And, yeah. now, and then after this, it was like everybody wanted her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and James Caan. James Caan's the other lead. Oh, man. I remember James Caan being quite good in this. Yeah. So we will see. Uh, and another King movie directed by Rob uh, Rob Reitner. Rob, 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 Rob. Can't say names today. Yeah, Rob Reitner. This is, uh, as I recall, this is not the only time Kathy Bates did a King property because shortly after this, did yeah, she, she do Dolores Dolor- Claiborne, if I remember correctly? Yes, yeah, And that was did. King, right? Am that I crazy? Was, no, you're not. You're not at all. How old was she when this movie hit? Oh, uh, surprisingly old. Okay, okay. So this movie came out in 1990. That's a good, it's easy, it's a nice round number. Where are you, Kathy Bates? Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates. She was born in 48. So, minus 19. So 42. 42. 42 wow. when she hit in Hollywood. Think about that. God, that is not something you hear about often. No. And you know what? Honestly, she has just leaned into her age in everything she's done. And I appreciate that about her because th- this is not an industry that allows uh, people to do that. <laughs> you know what I love about Kathy Bates the most? She's a very good dramatic actress. Like we know this. Everybody knows this. It's fine. My favorite part about Kathy Bates is 1998's The Waterboy. Which has not aged super duper well in many regards. You playing the foosball behind my back, <laughs> Baba Boucher. <laughs> she was so good in that movie, dude. I'm just looking at the credits from Misery right now. This thing is stacked. I know. Directed by Rob Reiner, 
Yep. Cinematography by Barry Sonnenfeld. Oh, wow. James Caan, yeah. Kathy yeah. Bates, Lauren Bacall, who's written by William Goldman. Yeah, yeah. This thing is stacked, man. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, did, did, could could this do it? Could this be the one that unseats the number one? Bates got Best Actress. Yeah, she won Best Actress. F- Dude, the from Academy the writer Award. of All the President's Men and Butch Cassidy. Like, Goldman's a friggin' legend, man. Yeah. He wrote The Princess Bride, for God's sakes. I know, I know. Oh. I'm genuinely excited about watching this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is going to give The Shining a, a run for its money. This, this, this is the first contender for number one. Quite possibly. I, I definitely think uh, I definitely think Pet Cemetery will probably get bumped out of the top five next week. Well, no, that would that would knock Dead Zone out. Okay, I think it'll knock Dead Zone out then. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll get less than five. From what I remember, I remember it being very good. I, I uh, remember it being very good too. I remember it being creepy as all get out, and not because of like slasher stuff. Creepy because it's um, you know genuinely unsetting psychological torture. Yeah. Also. Can I just say real quick, you know what one of the most effective parts of the Pet Cemetery was? Hmm. Man, still to this day, when that little turd slices across his Achilles, being that I tore an Achilles once, oh, that, that hits me in a special place, man. Does that hurt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just even talking about it makes me really unsettled. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, well. Oh, God. Oh, God, Jonathan, you know what's after misery? The lawnmower oh, no. man. Oh! <laughs> Are we redefining both ends of the spectrum in back-to-back films? <laughs> God, I'm they, they, I, this 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 challenge has suddenly become very exciting. Yeah, our next five coming up are Misery, The Lawnmower Man, The Dark Half, The Shawshank Redemption, and Dolores oh, Claiborne. Oh man. Yeah. We're going to both ends of the spectrum. None of those sit in the middle. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> We're either punching for bottom or punching for top, but there's no in between them. It's next few. It keeps going, too. We got After that, we got Thinner, Apt Pupil, The Green Mile, Hearts of Atlantis, and The Dreamcatcher. <laughs> oh, Lord. I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm really excited about getting to Dreamcatcher because because I know you've got some memories there, but man, what a spectacular turn! I, I, I'm awesome not gonna, that I'm is. not going to defend that movie. I like that movie because it's bad. Like it's 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 real bad. <laughs> I, I have a feeling like that's going to make a run for the bottom. I don't know because as bad as it is, it's I I don't know. Like I don't know. It's 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 carry bad, man. Okay, okay, okay. It's Cujo bad. I I agree. However, it's definitely Cujo bad. Uh, th- this is what I'll say makes it different. Okay, so like Mystery Science Theater, right? There are movies that you can watch that you can riff on and make fun of as you are watching them. And Dreamcatcher certainly is in that. Carrie, on the other hand, gets a little creepy, especially at the be- the parts we didn't like in the beginning. You know, because Dreamcatcher knows it's a little silly and it kind of runs with it. Whereas you know Carrie plays it straight, and it's kind of hard to pick on that. And the same thing with Cujo, like. Like the scenes where the dog is menacing them in the car are just upsetting. And oh, did, you, did you catch a huge Cujo reference in uh, Afterlife? Uh, no. Oh, you like Paul Rudd is showing the class Cujo. Oh yeah 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 yeah. That's not a reference. That was on the TV. That's like saying it had a child's play reference. Anyway, I'm excited. I I think Dreamcatcher is probably better than the bottom, just because the bottom is bad for reasons and Dreamcatcher is bad, but in a fun way. I I've watched it recently and it was still kind of like, it, it was just grown, but it was like, 
it was still kind of amusing. Like, like just how are they making this? And, and like, it has several, it has several horror movie moments where you're like, nah, dude, don't do that. Don't do that. Nah, nah, it's going to get you. It's got, it got you. What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to the end of our, a King and all things segment. Join us next episode when we are making a run at the champion. But that's next episode. For now, we need to turn on our way back machine and remember that in April of last year, we did nothing. <laughs> Meaning that our year in the life segment's awfully boring this episode. Yeah. Closing yeah. that sucker out. Well, we took the entire month of March off. You know, how funny that March last year sucked and now, like, I'm going through the same thing this year. That's, that's, I guess it's just a busy time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our Year in the Life segment. Good talk. Um, which brings us, of course, to our closing thoughts on this this slightly truncated episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, the end of episode 123. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. And I think we proved in today's episode we actually do read the Discord. So um, that is the place to go. Also, I'm very curious... Is anybody out there having the same issues I am with Discord actually sending you uh, notifications on your phone? Because it just doesn't with me. I'm starting to take it personally. I've checked all my settings. It should be sending them. I just don't think it does. I get them sent to my watch because I live in the future. Yeah, I mean, when when a, when a notification goes through, it goes to my watch too. But, like, it just doesn't always go through. Hmm. Well, Robert, that leaves us with one last thing. Any final thoughts? So... Brendan said he got from his library. So yay, library, uh, yay libraries. I can't think of the word. I'm terrible today. Uh, that he got the DVD of streets of fire that, uh, that movie that I, uh, that I said we should watch. And, right, uh, uh, when am I watching this? I, I need to watch it, right? You do need to watch it. Holy crap. That was Walter Hill. <laughs> I feel bad. Because, like, I know I talked about that movie. I know I told him I wanted him to see it. I know it's not good. <laughs> like, it's not a good film. Uh, I think it's notable because I think it uh, I think it brushes up against stuff that other people have since gone and done better. And that's what I'm curious about if I'm wrong. Because he, he's a professor of pop culture at a, at a college. Like, he knows more than I. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm finding myself getting a little heart palpitations. Because, like, he's going to watch it. And am I wrong? Because I respect his opinion on this stuff much more than mine. Look, I'm 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 gonna do it too. I'm doing it too. Just just text me. Hold on. Streets of Fire, 1984, uh, directed by Walter, Walter Hill. That's Walter what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. The movie that may have broke him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me look at my outlook. Hold on. Well, you got until next episode, man. You got until next episode. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm I'm looking at what night's gonna work. Hold on. All right, Wednesday looks like the winter. Text me on Wednesday, and I will I will. Key in and, and hop on. Uh, I, I rented it from the library. I can't watch it. I've already no, done my I know, duty. I know, but you just watched it, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I'm saying I'm getting in on this. I'm getting okay. in on it too. Okay. And then we can have a long discussion about it. I, I am really worried. I was telling him it's it's a really weird experience watching this film because I recognize that it's terrible. I, I thought it was terrible when I was watching it. And yet afterward, I thought about it a lot. Like it really stuck with me. And I'm like, this movie has stuck with me far more than it has any rights to. Maybe, maybe there's something there. So I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Streets of Fire. The the song up front with it is a freaking banger, though. It's a great song. And you're gonna watch the first part of this movie when that song's playing, and you're like, how can this movie be weird and problematically bad and whatever? And then you'll see. 
and yet it will still stick with you in a weird way. It's a very strange film. All right, I'm excited. I am genuinely excited. It takes place in 1950, 80. 1950, 80? Yeah, 50 slash 80. It's kind of kind of hard to pin down what year it takes place in. It's either the 80s or the 50s. It's kind of both. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means there's only one last thing to do, Robert, and that is to say, be excellent to one another, and party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. Party on, Brendan. Hopefully hopefully, I'm not wrong about this movie. I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried. I mean, I'm worried, but I'm also enthralled, and I'm probably going to laugh. You will at that. All right, good stuff. <laughs> we'll see y'all in just two short weeks. Can't wait, actually. I'm really genuinely excited about seeing Misery. So, all right. <laughs> we'll see y'all in a couple of weeks. Have a good night. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.